Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. Separation doesn't mean isolation. Doesn't mean you become a monk in a monastery. Doesn't mean that you become a hermit. But it does mean that your heart is insulated. That you are different. See, if we don't walk separated lives, we don't have power. When the sign of separation was taken from Samson, he lost his power. When his hair was cut in Delilah's lap, he lost his power, his ability. Reaching up high with arms open wide, we see you're changing our lives so we can be our hands and The Bible has a lot to say about how important it is for God's people to be separate from the unbelievers in the world. Today, Pastor Ed will be explaining how Samson's long hair is what separated him from the rest of the people. And once his hair was cut, he lost his power. In the same way, when we as God's children are no longer separate from the wickedness of the world, we lose the power to bring true change to our environment for God. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. nation. First of all, they had a lifestyle that created a need for deliverance. The lifestyle that creates a need for deliverance. In verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, and again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. First of all, this is the seventh time in the book of Judges that this is mentioned. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But this time, It's longer than any other time of spiritual discipline. Forty years under the chastening rod of God. In Psalm 106, verse 43, it reads, Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion as they wasted away in their sin. Their lives wasted away, spent, lost in their sin. The sin that they committed would be the sin of apostasy, the apostasy of God's people. Verse 1 and verse chapter 21, 25 capsulizes it. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now notice, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Evil in God's eyes, right in their eyes. Evil in God's eyes, right in their eyes. Over and over and over again. To apostatize is to leave the teaching leave the values, leave the precepts of God, to abandon the covenant, to throw the law behind them and just follow cultural norms, just embrace society's standards. And that's exactly what happened here. In other times when they were oppressed, how they were oppressed, the enemy would come in and ransack, ransack their wealth. They would steal their produce. They would attack them and steal their possessions. This time the Philistines came out and came in and did something different. They intermarried with the Jewish people. They had superior knowledge of iron and so they 
knew how to smelt iron, create weapons and instruments for farming. And, and so uh, they dominated the trade and then they began to control the land and they oppressed the Israelites. Notice though, in this text, it says they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but they did what was right in their own eyes. Even if society places its stamp of approval on actions, on values, if God says it's evil, it's evil. Even if everybody says, that's okay. They say, you're okay, I'm okay, she's okay. And if God says you're not okay, you're not okay. See, God has the final word of judgment. We're not going to stand before some human court when we stand before God. We will stand before a holy God who's given us his description and prescription on how we ought to live. They embraced the culture around them and lost their distinctiveness. So they did what was right in their own eyes. Their conscience didn't bother them. They felt, oh, no, this, this is fine. It doesn't matter. If God says it's evil, it's what's in his eyes, not what's in your eyes. Your conscience has to be rooted and grounded and guided by the word of God. That's the touchstone. That's where we understand right and wrong. And so you could see their apostasy by intermarrying with the world, not being separate from the world and the culture around them. They not only abandoned God's law and were in the sin of apostasy, forsaken the things of God, but they also experienced the result of apostasy. Every sin carries with it its own consequences. In every disobedience, the consequence of that disobedience is within that sin. And so you could see the consequences of apostasy. Again, the Israelites have did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. That is the longest oppression. There's something different about this verse than the preceding verses in all six accounts prior. When they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, God sent oppression, and you know what the people did? They cried out, God help us, God deliver us, God forgive us. This time they don't. 40 long years of oppression, repeated sin, repeated apostasy. The cycle goes on and on, and it deadens their hearts. It desensitizes them so that they become accustomed to God's divine discipline, and they simply go on, and they never cry out to God for forgiveness. They are comfortable in their disobedience. That's always a dangerous place. All through the Christian life, you're in a battle. From the beginning of the Christian life to the end of it. A battle against evil in this world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the Bible tells us. They gave up, and they embraced it, and they lived under the anger of God. They were absolutely apathetic. They lost their ability to cry out to God. And so, that's the lifestyle that creates a need for deliverance. The apostasy of God's people and the consequences of that apostasy, God's chastisement, his judgment. Now God is gracious to us because of who he is, not because of who we are. The character of God is such that he loves and pursues 
and cares about his people. And he follows them to the end of the journey, all through the journey, and then to the end of the journey. And God's trying to draw them back. And so what God does is he promises a deliverer. He visits one of the better families in that community, a family that hadn't completely lost their semblance of their Jewish faith and the covenant relationship with God. There was a general ignorance in the book of Judges. It kept on spiraling down 350 years from the time that Joshua entered the land to the time that the book of Judges is completed. And it spirals down, and every time it goes down further and further and further from the God who they call their God. In Judges 13, 2, 3, and 5, you see this gracious promise. Uh, this man of Zorah, Manoah, he was of the Danaanites, one of, that's one of the clans, one of the tribes. His wife had, was without a child, and that was a stigma in that culture. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistine. Notice this. God comes and gives this incredible promise. Now remember, God came to Abraham, yes, in a theophany. But now God comes twice to the household of Samson and gives this incredible prophetic word. God himself visits them and says, you're going to have a son. That son, that child is going to begin the process of deliverance from the Philistines. Now that process was going to go on a long time. It was going to go on through the first king Saul later on. It was going to go on through part of David's reign and finally the Philistines' power over the people would be broken. How many know that when God begins a work, he completes it? in our individual lives, but also in the larger picture. And so from one generation to another, to another, to another, God is continuing this work of deliverance from the enemy's oppressors that came because of disobedience. So God takes the initiative to help his people even though they're indifferent to him. Now God chose the household of the deliverer. It says, even though you're unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. And he gives them real careful instructions how they're to raise this child, what they're to do. God chose this household like he chose the household for Moses. God chose Isaac's household. God chose the household for Jesus, the savior of the world to be born in. Now God chose a household for this judge, this deliverer, Samson to grow up in. And you'll notice that he gives very careful instruction to Samson's mother. She is a very intuitive woman. You can see this in chapter 13. Uh, she perceives things that her husband misses. I don't know why they didn't give her name in scripture. I've wondered that, so why didn't they give her name? There's four women that have a big influence on Samson's life. Only one of them is named. And that was the woman who was his undoing, Delilah. Don't worry if your name isn't mentioned. <laughs> God knows. But here is this mother who's going to just follow the instructions that the angel gives, and she's going to practice being a Nazarite. She's going to practice what Samson is going to live. She's gonna abstain from certain foods, she's not gonna drink wine. She, before he's even born, 
conceived, she's preparing herself to give birth to this son so that he would be raised in a godly home. Now, his father is a very uh, spiritually inquisitive. He has a lot of questions, but he's dull. It just is. He's slow to comprehend spiritual truths. He reflects the general condition of the nation. So here is this family that God singles out, chooses, and uses. They're people of their times, but they're generally good people. Could you imagine what his mother and father would have told him about the angels? Birth story, the narrative. These, this angel came. It was the angel of the Lord. And then we had a sacrifice. And as we were offering that sacrifice and, and, and thanksgiving to the Lord, all of a sudden, that angel, we thought he was just a man at first. And then he just ascended to heaven. Who does that remind you of? Jesus in the book of Acts, ascending to heaven. And over and over and over, they would tell Samson the story of his birth, uh, the purpose of his calling, the very fact that God has singled him out. Generally, a Nazarite vow is always chosen. It's not put upon a person. And you could choose to have a Nazarite vow. You, you wouldn't cut your hair. Uh, you wouldn't uh, drink alcohol. Uh, you would observe various aspects of the law. You wouldn't associate with a, with a dead body because you would be defiled. All of those things were symbolic. The fact that you wouldn't drink wine was saying that my joy is not from earthly wine, but from that heavenly wine, from fellowship with God. It's saying that God is the one who gives me joy in my life. That was what that vow said. That vow, when you said you don't get near the dead, it's saying God is the God of the living. He's the God of, of life. And so by the very way they lived, they would say, no, no, our God is the God of the living. He didn't ordain, in a sense, death. He ordained life. They're keeping their hair. Well, they didn't cut it, so obviously it didn't look, uh, well, I can imagine what it would look like. Uh, you ladies might imagine better than I could what it might look like on Samson. Well, he stood out like a sore thumb, but he was saying, I belong to God. I belong to God. So these were the things that the family passed on to him. And God established the lifestyle for the deliverer. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you're sterile, you're childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. No razor may be used on his head. Because the boy is a Nazarite, he's set apart to God from birth. Now, separation doesn't mean isolation. Doesn't mean you become a monk in a monastery. Doesn't mean that you become a hermit. But it does mean that your heart is insulated, that you are different. See, if we don't walk separated lives, we don't have power. When the sign of separation was taken from Samson, he lost his power. When his hair was cut in Delilah's lap, he lost his power, his ability. See, it's only as a church is a separate people and a people apart from the world do we have power. And Samson's life illustrates that. There was this power that came from his living a separated life. He was a sign of that to others. He was a sign to all of Israel that they were to be separate from the Philistines, that they weren't to embrace the cultures around them, the world about them. And we are constantly bombarded by our culture and our world to take on its norms instead of saying, Lord, let your word mold me. Let your word shape me. Let your word direct me. Jesus prayed this prayer for his church, for his 
for his people. In John 17, it says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, meaning the believers, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. What an incredible, gracious promise God gives this family. You're gonna raise a deliverer. He chose the household that would be most conducive for Samson to grow up spiritually. He gave him his purpose and his plan for his whole life. And um, Samson is gonna kick against it. He's gonna fight against it. He's gonna battle with God. You see in the coming chapters the fact that he parties. He's gonna drink. Even though God said you're an Azrite, you need to be different. He's going to go and tell Delilah the secret of his strength and have his hair cut. He's gonna not go after the women of Israel for a wife. He constantly is going after the Philistines, their women, breaking his vow, crossing the line, going out of the will of God. This man, who had such great potential, an incredible birth, an incredible testimony. Some of you have been raised up in Christian homes, and maybe there was a time in your life where you just rebelled against it. I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like the other thing. Sometimes people just rebel against a godly heritage that should be valued and treasured. That's a picture of Samson. He resented the fact of the limitations and he constantly crossed the line, constantly crossed the line. In the fulfillment, God answers this prayer and it's a wonderful birth. When her son was born, it says, she named him Samson and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. It's interesting that his name has nothing to do with Yahweh, nothing to do with God. It has, Bible scholars believe it's a reference to a pagan God, the God of the sun. It can be translated sunny. Sunny's okay as a name. But back then, it had implications of worshiping a pagan God. So that they were still influenced by the culture. And what happens, you know, when God fulfills his promise of a deliverer, it's amazing. He's the God who amazes us. In Judges 19 to 21, it says this, that they took the offering and God did an amazing thing. He ascended to heaven in that offering. And they absolutely awed at this fact that they had actually been in the presence of God. So much so that Manoah thought he was going to die. It was that fear, that sense of reverence when he was in the presence of God. And his wife had to instruct him. She said, he, let me just read what she says. But his wife said, if the Lord's going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. So she has this insight. Wait a minute, Manoah, we're not going to die. We're going to make it through. God wouldn't have given us his child to raise if he plans to kill us. God wouldn't have accepted our offering if he was going to destroy us. She has this intuition. He seems to be spiritually dull. And, and it's amazing how God does miracles in our lives. Some of you have an incredible testimony of salvation. Your story is absolutely incredible. God invaded your life. God changed your life. I mean, you could stand and share with people things that God has done in your life. But does your testimony match your walk? There, Samson had an incredible testimony to tell. But throughout his walk, he's fighting against God, fighting with God, refusing to fulfill the purposes, the plan that God had for his life. 
Now, he, he's a God who amazes us, and he's the God who blesses us. Now, the blessings are undeserved, but what happens? He grew up, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. God, God's with him. I mean, there's no person in all of history like Samson. The mythical character, Hercules, wouldn't compare to Samson. I mean, this guy actually defeats single-handedly an army of a thousand. He carries these huge gates on the back of his shoulders for miles and miles and miles. He was the incredible Hulk of the Old Testament, I guess. I mean, the guy was incredible with strength and power, but it was God who gave him that. But with all of those gifts, he never led an army against the oppressors, the Philistines, like his predecessors did. He never won a massive victory defeating the enemy. Every time he caused grief to the Philistines, it was out of a selfish motive. It was out of some type of revenge. God used the disobedience of Samson to distract the Philistines because he was a contemporary of Samuel the prophet in 1 Samuel. Uh, the books don't exactly run chronologically. It's not Judges and then all of a sudden Samuel starts. Samuel and Judges, they run together at some points. And here it's running together. So while Samson is distracting the Philistines and they're concentrated on him, Samuel has time to rebuild the spiritual character of the nation. So God is even using him and his disobedience. He never lives up, though, to that potential. Of all the judges in the book of Judges, he has the worst record but the best start. He has the greatest testimony but the least effective. Never lived up to the potential God had for him. You know Helen Keller, the author? She was uh, deaf and blind and she was the first deaf-blind person to receive a bachelor's degree. Uh, she had a powerful impact through her writings, to her story. She was a devoted Christian. And here she is, handicapped, with very little potential in the natural. But what she accomplished can only be explained by the power of God in her life. This was uh, something she wrote. I will not just live my life, I will not just spend my life, I will invest my life. That's opposite of Samson. Samson said he was gonna live for himself, follow his own passions, go his own way, live his own way. He was going to be like the book of Judges, a reflection of a law unto himself. He was gonna live it and do it his way. He was going to follow the cultural norms. He was not going to follow that restrictive Nazarite vow that God said, this is how you're to live. When we were born again into the kingdom of God, God said, son, daughter, your life is not your own. And this, this is how you're to live. Don't kick against it. Don't fight against it. Embrace it. And watch how God can use you in incredible ways because you don't want to come to the end of the journey with so many what ifs. What if I had? What if you don't want to live in the valley of regrets? His beginning was glorious. His end was tragic. And the story is repeated again and again and again and again. 
That's why God put so much space in the book of Judges to Samson's life. I'll read again Helen Keller's words. I will not just live my life. I will not just spend my life. I will invest my life. Throughout the history of the nation of Israel, there have been various forms of leadership. From the creator of heaven and earth, to kings, to judges. The book of Judges details the time when God chose judges like Othniel and Deborah to make right ruling in Israel. Join us each day as Pastor Ed shares with us verse by verse from the book of Judges. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. Visiting the website will also help you stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Building in Faith. At the website, you'll find today's message for you to listen to again, download, or even post to your Facebook page to share with your family and friends. Again, that's all available when you log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. Or, if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845 462 5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. In the next edition of Building in Faith, Pastor Ed will continue teaching verse by verse through the Old Testament book of Judges. So be sure to join us. Until then, may God richly bless you. Your word restores.